Welcome to Mojo Moments. I'm your host, Thane Calder. And with me is my wingmate, my better half, the better and smarter half, Mark Delinsky. What's up, buddy? Well, lots up. Uh, I got my giant kombucha bottle that's nearly empty here. That's for sure up. I'm excited to see you pod with a completely empty bottle of kombucha. You're going to be running high during this interview, and I think you're going to need it. This is one liter of kombucha. I'm down, I'm guessing, doing a quick little glance here, I'm probably 750 milliliters in. What is that, like a bottle of wine in of kombucha? So that's just how I roll these days on the Mojo Moments. Why do we talk about Mojo, Mark? Because it's incredibly important. What is it? What is Mojo? The good energy, the good vibes, the the things that get you through the tough and dark times. It's the mojo. It's the mojo that keeps you going. Yeah, it's 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 the, the that finding that your little purpose in life and living it, That's sharing right. it. And yours is podcasting, right? Yeah, I guess I, I get mojo from the podcasting and talking with all our great guests and hanging out with you, bro. So that's, well, that's fun. So uh, talking about mojo, how is your mojo though? It's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, same old, same old at the moment. We're still doing some of the spring cleaning, getting the yard up and running because we're lucky enough to have a yard. Yeah, it's been fun. Just adjusting to some new realities in life and that's it. Interesting thing earlier this week, and hopefully my my children don't listen to this podcast. Don't worry. But anyway, my, so my, I have three children. My, my twins uh, that are the younger two are just turned 15 and boy-girl twins. Uh, it was really fascinating conversation this week because he's going to grade 10 this year. And, um, he had an existential moment because his sister is currently at another school and she's thinking, I want to go to his school and be, and essentially the bottom line is they would be in the same classes together. He wasn't ready for that. And there's no, you know, you know, there's a lot of like teen sibling fighting and all that. Actually, I'd say I'm darn lucky. The kids get along super well. But this idea of having his twin sister in the same classes and the same circles of him really freaked him out. And, you know, so we unpacked that a little. And what was really, really interesting was Essentially, he was worried about now there's a direct comparison to twin sister. Whereas in a separate school, well, it's a different curriculum, whatever going on, whatever. And, and yeah, yeah, he feels pressure from us. But what was really interesting is the pressure he was putting on himself. So, you know, thank God my wife's there because she's really good to help navigate those conversations. <laughs> but bottom line was like, how do you feel good about yourself not in comparison to others? And I, I don't think there's an, a more timely moment. I mean, you can do that your whole life. It's important to have that conversation. But, man, 15 years old, going to grade 10, key, key moment. Because it's really like, you know, who do you want to be? Be yourself. Be, what does that mean? But why do we have grades? <laughs> it, 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 you know, what am I going to do in my life? It was like there was a lot of shit going on in that conversation. And I I find it incredible that that I had that conversation this week and the guest we have on today is kind of so timely for this reflection. Uh, His name is Sam Demma. He's like a teen whisperer, like in the good way or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, the point is he is essentially a young fellow. Now he's 21. He doesn't like talking about his age, but he helps kids at this pivotal moment figure out what their own personal mojo is. And he's, he's, he's got a lot of mojo, this guy, but he, he's going to share with us uh, his story. But I just, I'm so happy we're having him on today. Yeah. So Sam, he was on track to be a soccer superstar, possibly playing in the U.S. collegiate system until tragedy struck. And uh, he had to find a new sort of way to find his mojo and a new path in life. So we're going to get him to talk about that. What do you think, Thane? Yeah, I think uh, we're just scratching the surface on this story. So let's get into it. Here he is, Sam Dama. (laughs) 
So Sam, uh, we got Mark Delinsky here, and he he spells his name really weird. He has a J at the end, but it doesn't matter. It's pronounced Delinsky. Thanks, Thane. Pleasure to meet you. You too, Mark. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> um, I'm happy to be here, man. It's it's cool to meet you, Mark. I I know you do some excellent copywriting. I was doing some research on you. Uh, oh, you're snooping me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Excited to be here. Thanks. So yeah, what sweet. I love is that Sam is a podcaster, right? Too, on top of everything else you do. I am. Yeah, I run two shows. One is called the High Performing Student for Kids, and then I run a second one called the High Performing Educator. Um, so I'm pumping out five episodes so, a week. So Mark. <laughs> You know, first of all, his audio rocks, man. We got to get a few insights on his audio setup, man. It's got great sounds. I'll teach you everything I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, welcome to Mojo Moments. Uh, this is our show where we talk about everything around Mojo, at least the the the, the Mojo we're allowed to talk about. Um, and uh, your story is awesome. And, you know, you went from being and this is not in your words, but it, let's face it, in Canadian terms, a soccer a prodigy, um, you know, the next Messi Gretzky for the Canadians out there. Messi is this really famous soccer player, really successful. But you were on that path. You were on that path, and you went from that to picking up garbage. Um, so essentially, it's the garbage and all that that has given your life mojo. So can you help us connect these dots? What's what's the story here? Like if I asked you to go back to when you were a five-year-old kid and think about a moment in your life when someone asked you the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was the answer that you usually gave? Truck driver. Hockey player. I used to say fire truck. <laughs> I didn't know that I couldn't be made objects. Um, if so, if I could, if I could do that exact same process and go back, I would have told you soccer player, pro soccer player, and it was something that I grew up like fantasized with. By the time I was thirteen, I had moved to Italy and was living with over twenty-five international athletes uh, in the pursuit of trying to sign a pro contract. And that six-month experience. Although I didn't sign anything professionally, it exposed me to what it was like living and being a pro athlete. Like I was, I was doing all the things that someone would be doing if that was their full-time job, you know, training three, four hours a day, um, for the first time in my life, doing my own laundry. <laughs> uh, my mom loved that I came home with those new skills yeah. even more than soccer. Um, and then by the time I came back from that experience, it deeply ingrained in my mind, this idea that this is what I was built to do. And so all throughout high school, I sacrificed everything in my life if it didn't support that goal. And I was so attached to the sport of soccer that I actually gave myself an alter ego. I used to call myself Soccer Sam. Um, And it was my email address. People would refer to me like that. And by the time I was 17, all the sacrifices of the typical high school student's life started to pay off. I... I was given opportunities of full ride scholarships, like literally a couple of showcases away from getting my full education paid for and taking the first step towards one day playing professional. And long story short, I ended up undergoing some major knee injuries, uh, very close to the same time that I would have got the scholarships. Um, when I was 15, I was also diagnosed with FAI which stands for femoral acetabular impingement. I was basically told by doctors that the, the femur bones, the, my thigh bones at the top of them weren't round, and it was tearing up the cartilage in my hips. And so that injury led to the compensation, which led to me tearing the cartilage in both my knees, which led to two surgeries, uh, which led to the death of Soccer Sam. <laughs> um, I had no clue what I was doing with my life. My self-worth was so deeply attached to soccer that... I felt like I'd be worth nothing if I wasn't playing the sport. And so I went into a deep, a deep dark place as a kid, uh, someone who's usually extroverted and, and happy to chat. I wanted to stay home and just lie in bed. Uh, like I remember after my second knee surgery, like un- uncontrollably crying in front of my parents um, because I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I was so lucky that at the same time I had this teacher and we'll talk about in a second who changed my life and, and led me down another path. And so that's the, the beginning of the story. Um, but everyone faces adversity. But at that, that moment, know? just to dive into that, you were what about 
how old were you when this you got this realization it was over? I was about 17, 18 years old. So literally you're at the prime, you're in high school still, right? Yep, or just like just finishing grade 12. Yeah, you're the shit. Like <laughs> no, because you know when you're leaving high school, you know, that's like now you're finally the top of the high school, you know, pecking order. Yeah. Grade 12 was awesome. Yeah, you're the rock star yeah. soccer player. Uh, and then that all zoop. Yeah, we could we could just say it like this. I, I had my mojo, you know, <laughs> um, and and everyone knew it too. You know, again, like everyone saw me as the kid who sacrificed everything in their life for soccer. You didn't see me drinking alcohol. You didn't see me smoking. You didn't see me. I had no serious relationships all throughout high school. When someone thought about Sam, they thought that's the kid who's going to play professional soccer, and that's a blessing and a curse because on one end. I was, I was doing the right things. I knew I was taking the right actions, but on the other side, I didn't realize if things didn't work out that the pressure of the world felt like it was going to get placed on my shoulders because everyone had these expectations for me. Um, and so at those same moments, you know, when I was 17, 18, finishing grade 12, that's when I met this teacher, uh, whose name is Mike Loudfoot. And really when I think about it, what he did for me was he believed in me when I, when I couldn't believe in myself or I had no idea what I could do with my life. And his passion for solving social problems and using your life to make a difference in the lives of others started to rub off on me. And there was one specific lesson he taught, and it changed my life and became the foundation for everything I'm doing now. And the lesson was a day uh, in April of 2017, where he was breaking down the lives of figures in history to try and prove that they all had this common characteristic that if you also chose to embody what their philosophy was and you two could make a difference. And he challenged us to try and figure out like, what was it that enabled them to make a change? And uh, he was one of those teachers that wore sandals with no socks. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> in a public setting. It's like, it's like that authoritative. Yeah. I'm teaching all day. My feet are hanging yeah. out kind of way. Yeah. It's weird. Totally, that is weird. Totally but he, can I but, just say sandals with socks is still disgusting. But anyway, I, it's a huge debate, man. Every time I speak to students, I ask them in the chat box and kids are passionate about that topic. Um, and he, he walks to the middle of the class and he looks at me as if he he heard me whisper under my desk. Cause I was getting super engaged in his lesson. And he says three words, small, consistent actions. He says, Sam, you want to make a change? You want to make a difference? You want to reinvent yourself? Just take a small, consistent action. And it was eventually that theory that led me to start picking up garbage, walking home from high school, <laughs> which led to the building of an initiative called Pick Waste, where we would pick up litter for one hour every weekend. Uh, which led to filling nearly 3,000 bags of trash over the past four years, all with the help of student volunteers. We've given out over 6,000 volunteer hours uh, to students in high school to help them graduate. And it all started because of this theory um, that a small action can make a massive change. And Pick Waste was really the first case study uh, that we applied that principle to. So it's a little more than garbage collecting. <laughs> I mean, it depends who you ask. <laughs> so in Ontario, do they still have to do the uh, the certain amount of community hours to graduate? Yeah. You have to do a certain amount. Yeah. Every student needs 40 hours. And especially right now with COVID, there's not many volunteer opportunities. That's really hard. Yeah. But, like the public gathering, like you can't even, what are you going to do? Yeah. So the limit back on the first lockdown, the limit was 25 outside. So we could all meet up with masks and pick up trash and, it's funny. We actually saw an increase in volunteerism because of that. Um, but at the same time, now we're in a second lockdown that just started. It's going to go on for another 20 some, some days. And the max limit is five people. So it doesn't even make sense to, to really organize cleanups and do this right now. So we put it on hold and postponed it. Uh, but what's really lighting up my soul now is sharing these stories with young people to help them realize that their self-worth isn't attached to their talents or abilities either. You know, we're all innately worth something being born and being human beings. And then the additional self-worth comes from, I believe, two decisions. One, to show up every day and give 100% of your effort to whatever the task at hand might be. And two, to also make sure you're being of service to other people. Um, and sharing this story with schools is it's kind of what keeps me going now. Let me ask you, because you say, you know, 
Think about you, Soccer Sam was doing number one. You were showing up every day and, you know, working hard and really committed. Then you had the unfortunate physical blockage. Then your second point of this is about being in the service of others. Back to being Soccer Sam, how do you be Soccer Sam and give to others? Like, it's clearly, do you understand what I'm going after here? Yeah, it's very it's a very different experience. <laughs> um, I also believe that as we live life for a longer period of time, we take on new philosophies, right? When my head was so deep under the water when it came to soccer, uh, I didn't really see anything else as something I cared about or wanted to do. So for example, I was the most uninvolved kid in high school. <laughs> I wasn't on any extracurricular clubs. I wasn't on student council. I didn't volunteer. I got my 40 hours and that was it. Because for me, if it didn't support that dream of playing pro soccer, I didn't do it at all. And so the moment soccer was removed from my life, I had to ask myself, okay, I have you know these 15 hours, 20 hours per week that usually go towards this sport. What the heck am I going to do with it now? And I didn't know what to fill the space with. And so it started with, the picking up trash from my teacher. And through the volunteerism, I realized that the fulfillment I got from serving others was greater than the fulfillment I got from being a soccer player. Now, is that a bad thing? I don't believe so. I think there's a, there's a reason for every experience we have in all of our lives. But it was through volunteering that, volunteering that I realized I felt at my best when I could know that I'm positively impacting the life of somebody else. I could have done that as an athlete. I could do it right now. I think every person has the opportunity to do it every single day. And I think sometimes we, we underestimate what we can do. We think we have to change the world to make someone's day when in reality, it could be as, it could be something as simple as shipping someone a taco for dinner. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you a, a quick, a quick rant here. One of my good friends, he's a filmer. His name's Andrew. And when COVID hit, he was having an extremely difficult time with him and his wife Things weren't going well. And I remember getting off a phone call with him 2 p.m. in the afternoon. And this guy told me he was still in bed, you know, lying with the sheets over his head. And I'm sure we've all had days like that before where you just don't want to do anything. And after the phone call ended, I thought to myself, how can I make this guy feel just 1% better? And I ended up going on his Facebook and scrolling down to October of 2019, where I saw this post that said, my vote for dinner tonight is tacos. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to Uber eats this guy tacos. And so I call his friend, Chris, get his home address, send him and his wife a taco dinner for two. It was like, I don't know, 30 bucks. And this guy FaceTimes me an hour later, bawling his eyes out. Tell me, you don't understand how big of a difference this, this, this made on me and my wife right now. And so much so that he literally had a graphic designer make this logo. I don't know if people can see this. <laughs> it says, be someone's taco. And I now give out hundreds upon hundreds of stickers to students when I speak to remember this story because it takes one small consistent action of kindness, just like it takes one small consistent action of picking up garbage to change the world to also make someone's day. And when we look at it from that lens, there's honestly no one that we can't impact. Like the world is a playground for changing people's lives. If we look at it from that perspective. It's so true. Cause I remember like it, it can be anything. It could be so small. I remember I was really young and I was coming back from a, from a sporting event with my parents on the TTC in Toronto. And it was like late at night and there were some kids goofing off on, on the, whatever they were teenagers, like just goofing off. And I remember so vividly I was, you know, I was tired. It was late. And the kid, like, I don't know, it was probably 18 year old, just smiled at me. Cause he was goofing off. He smiled at me and I was like, that's so cool. Like an older kid just smiled at me and made me feel not even special. Just like he acknowledged my existence. and was nice to me. Meant absolutely nothing to him. That kid will never know mm. what he did. But like from that point on, it really resonated with me. And it's been like, I always enjoy trying to spread that a lot. I like, I like making people smile as much as I can, but it was, it's one of these things that's really ingrained and it was nothing. And it's true what you say, like, you never know what you can do to make such a positive impact on someone else's life. It could be so small. And like a taco dinner for 30 bucks changed this guy's entire like outlook on life. I'm just picturing you, Mark, now, though, as you walk around your neighborhood smiling and everyone's Creepily like, smiling everyone's, like, everyone's yeah. like, who is that weird guy? 
<laughs> you, gotta, you gotta be careful, man. You gotta be careful. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's funny. Tacos seem a little safer. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Our COVID times, especially, would, default yeah. to the tacos, man. <laughs> That's funny. But the the core idea is is somewhat similar. No, I agree. I also think it's incredibly you know poetic that your guidance counselor was Mike Loudfoot, mm. and you were a soccer player, <laughs> and and you just slightly just shifted your perspective because i mean when you're when you're training to be a soccer player you were doing those small uh small actions consistently right like you you were training you were focused you you were dedicated to your craft and just that small pivot shifted everything for you you know people always talk about scaling businesses right and and that the real key is tweaking small things in a process that you've built and a small tweak can make a massive change we could look at our lives the same way like time passes quick and you both know that because you're well older than i am oh, <laughs> oh no here we go here we go both of you guys <laughs> what is this we were being all cool not you know talking about your age being young and you set him up at the beginning. Uh, you took yeah. that shot that he was young. Man, you set him oh man. Up. Okay, yeah. So we're old. So what's your point? <laughs> so, you know, as we continue to live, because we only have what's ahead of us, if we make small tweaks to the actions we take every day, you know, five years, you look back and go, wow, I made the decision to do this one action, you know, every day. And look how, look how it drastically changed my life. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's important to never underestimate the, the small decisions we make. And so what's, what's something that someone could do now, like whether you're 15, you're 55, like what's one way that you can start putting into place those small consistent actions? Like how do you action it yeah. in a way? I, I'm very cautious about giving specific advice because yeah, I feel yeah, like for sure. every person is trying to do something different. So the first thing I would ask is, you know, what are you obsessed with? Uh, what, what is the thing that you're obsessed over? I think back to when I was a kid, um, I have a, I'm a half Italian, half Greek, and we call my Greek grandfather Papuli. <laughs> uh, funny, interesting name. Um, and every summer we would go to his house and swim in his concrete pool. And if you've ever been in a concrete pool before, they suck. Like it cuts your feet. Like it's just <laughs> terrible experience. Um, but he loved when we came over because he got to see all his grandchildren and he got to cook us food and he would make back ribs. Uh, and I'm sorry if you're vegan listening to this. I apologize. <laughs> and uh, he would make back ribs and he would, he'd give us like four or five, every grandchildren, four or five of them. And we go sit down and we eat them. And he would, uh, you know, after we're done, he'd say, come get more. And so we'd bring our plate back over and he'd look at our plate. And if there was anything left on the bone, he would tell you to go sit down, finish it before coming back up here. <laughs> And, you know, as a kid, it pissed us off a, a ton. We're like, why, why? Like, there's so little meat here. Like, what are you talking about? And what I started to realize is that, like, success in life, I now call this the back rib philosophy. It's, it's very aligned. You have to be so obsessed with the thing in front of you that you're willing to eat off every little piece left before you go and try and find more or ask for more. So I would say, you know, first, become obsessed with the thing you're doing, so much so that you ask yourself, okay, this is the goal. This is the dream. This is the vision. If I reverse engineer this into small little actions that I could take every day, what would help me get there? Right? So for example, one of the goals could be maybe you want to run a marathon or change your health. Um, you know, get clear on what that outcome looks like and then ask yourself, what would I have to do every day for that to be my future in, you know, four or five months from now. And then those are the things you should do. Uh, I think aside from, you know, reverse engineering a goal things that i try and just do every day that don't really relate to a vision or a goal is just make people make people feel good and significant it could be as simple as sending someone a little voice note letting them know, letting them know how much i appreciate them um or it could be as, as simple as randomly shipping someone a small consistent actions wristband uh, from a student that came to a speech and dm me on instagram and like it just blows their mind you know you say chase an obsession but what if you don't even have an obsession? You know, there's a lot, a lot of people who are still, they don't even know what the thing is that they're interested yeah. in. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, so it's almost like a blank slate, which is worse. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think, I think and this is a terrible analogy, but think about like an addiction, like the way you become addicted to something, you don't know you're going to be addicted to it 
until you do it 20 times and then you can't stop doing it. And I feel like it's the same thing with life. Like you can't figure out what you're going to want to do by sitting at home and thinking about what you want to (laughs) do. You're going to have to go outside and try things. And as you try random new things, you're going to stumble upon something and say, wow, I enjoy building marketing campaigns for Kijiji and large companies, or I enjoy doing copywriting and and I have this vision for this, this mojo thing. And, and the more you take action towards that thing, the more obsessed you become with it. So I would say at the beginning, if you're listening to this and you have no idea what you wanted to do, just start taking small actions towards things that you've never tried or done before. Um, and then your, your obsession will develop over time. You've helped clarify where I saw huge obstacles. That's great. (laughs) And it makes me think, I think it was Nelson Mandela. It's a little different, but he had this obsession, even that he would make his bed every morning. Now, a lot of people do that, but even when he was president of, of South Africa, he, or is it prime minister? I think it's president, uh, president of South Africa. He would get up in the morning and make his bed. And he had, he had staff, you know, as president in the country, he had staff. And they're like, why do you do that? And he goes, well, it's something I've always done. And when I was in prison, I felt it was always the one thing I could always do to take an action in my day to start it on the right path. Yeah. It, it's, it's so little, but it, it really strikes me as such a powerful thought. Well, you know, I think our, and I'm not a scientist, so I can't give you like, you know, scientific examples here, but I think when we interpret a win, whether it's winning a recreational sporting event or winning a Grammy uh, or an Emmy or a huge award or a huge deal, our brain has the same chemistry happening, right? Like, you know, dopamine starts firing and we get excited. So no matter how small the win is, uh, it, it, it positively affects your, your mentality. Uh, and that's why this guy that I look up to a lot, his name's Charlie Rocket, um, talks about the importance of a winning streak and acknowledging all the small wins because it, it puts you in a mental state to continue looking for those things and having them happen in your life. So you've been doing pick waste, this whole sort of volunteerism. We find you on YouTube, TED Talks, keynotes. How did that all start? Like, what made you go from I'm doing the volunteerism to I'm going to start sharing my the message that's been shared to me by my teacher, et cetera? Yeah, great question. So long story short, it was unintentionally. I, I started pick waste and there were some problems. The first problem was we didn't, no one knew us. None of the school students from the area knew us. So the first problem was how can we actually get more people involved? And I just thought, what if I just spoke at school assemblies? You know, like I, I could probably hit hundreds of high school kids in a week, you know? And so I, I went, the first person I went to was my principal. And I said, hey, I would love to speak in front of our school. If, you know, give me five minutes max. And I still have the video, terrible video, by the way. I, I sucked when I started. It. Um, <laughs> what just, is again? Small, consistent actions. Yeah, I didn't say you're going to be good at first, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and I go to my principal. He says, yes, I do this five-minute presentation. People told me, you know, it wasn't the best, but they could hear and feel my passion. And so we had 67 students uh, give their first name and email address to join our mailing list for our future cleanups. And then I thought, huh, if 67 kids from this school gave me their information and there's, you know, 12 high schools around this area that I could easily get to, I could easily get over 600 volunteers in the next couple of weeks. So I went back to my principal's office and I'm like, dude, can you introduce me to your friends? <laughs> and he's like, sure. And so I, I started going around schools doing these free five-minute talks. And I did probably about 40 of them in that first year. And this is the year right after high school ends. Um, and I ended up close to the last one having a principal hand me a check with $150. And he was like, kid, you did an awesome job. Um, we pay people a lot more money than this, but <laughs> I want to say, <laughs> and, and I, I, I want to say you did a, you did an awesome job and you deserve this. And you know, I'm a young teen, and right away my mind's like, just like this guy just blew my mind. People get paid to do this, like this doesn't make <laughs> sense. I thought, how can it be that I can share a positive message that impacts the audience? 
love the work I'm doing, have it feed into more volunteerism and that be my career. Like this is just doesn't, this doesn't sound right. And so, you know, I think the starting point for me was curiosity. I went on Google and, uh, again, a young kid, I'm obsessed. You give me something and I start doing it. I'll become obsessed uh, very quickly. And so I went on Google and I went through the first four pages of Google and I called every single person whose page said youth speaker. And I took notes and I still have the notes all stapled upstairs by my desk. And I literally just called people and said, Hey, I'm 18 years old. My name's Sam. I want to do what you're doing. I have some questions. You know, would it be too much to ask to have a conversation? And almost every single person said, yes. Um, I took a crap ton of notes and then I invested in a, in a, a guy from the U S by the name of Josh ship, who has this awesome youth speaking course. Uh, I flew to California to meet him. I joined the Canadian association of professional speakers. I went to conventions in Vancouver. Um, I spent a lot of money, time, and effort finding people who have done this for 25 plus years and becoming their their most open-minded student and just wanting to learn more and more and more. Um, and that's really what got me into this. So I knew there was a message to spread. I knew there was a positive impact to make. I knew that other young people could benefit from this, especially if they're going through a similar tough time like I was. And because of my young age, which I don't, publicly share but uh, they, they put me under the bus here the mojo bus and uh, immediately <laughs> immediately too it was like hi welcome i'm gonna throw you on the bus do you want that edited out we'll take no, it no, out leave it it's good anyway we don't edit anything out that's right <laughs> i didn't but I, I didn't think so i still either. offered i still offered no, yeah so okay. yeah so did you go to university? Like what happened after in high school? Cause it's hard yeah. to get all technical here. Like, are no, you in university course. or you did university? I, How does that... It's always funny. People say, you know, Sam, are you a risk taker? And I'm like, no, I'm a risk creator. Like I create risk in my life. <laughs> um, I, I dropped out of university after two months and I went to UFT for environmental studies and political science. And I realized very quickly that Every second I was sitting in a classroom, I felt like I needed to be in the world speaking or picking up trash or inspiring kids. And there was this just internal drive that was pushing me, this obsession to do this work right now while I'm still young. Um, and so I, I created the risk of dropping out of uh, university. I remember I was sitting upstairs writing a paper on DDT, which is a, a chemical you find in mosquito repellent. And... I didn't even start writing it. I, just, I opened my computer and I, I couldn't stop staring at the screen. And I, I broke down crying because I knew I had to tell my parents. And they're both, you know, hardcore Europeans thinking, what are, education is the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm doing here. Um, broke down crying, texted them. I was like, I need to drop out of school. And they came home, saw me crying, and they were like, calm down, calm down. It's okay. It's okay. You know, we support you. It's okay. Uh, and so I, that was the first risk that I created in my life. Okay. I'm, I'm taking a different path. Then I had a huge risk of investing in a coach and I, I paid an absurd amount of money <laughs> uh, with someone that I deeply trusted that I knew who could help me. And it's paid off a huge ton. But so when you say a coach, we're talking career coach, life coach, uh, no, this speakers speaker. coach. Yeah. He's okay. a, so he's, he's been a speaker for 25 plus years. Okay. Um, and I met him at, he was actually the MC of my TEDx talk <laughs> and we hit it off and he had given me so much of his time for free. And every time we talked, I learned something so valuable. Um, so I made a huge investment. Uh, it was basically my life savings at that point. <laughs> and, uh, that turned out really well, but everyone was like, dude, you're crazy. And then the third risk I created was turning down, joining top youth speakers, which is one of the largest speaking agencies in the world. Um, the guy who runs it is the same guy whose course I bought when I first started speaking. And, uh, it was a, a very lucrative opportunity, but it didn't feel right. And it felt like I was selling out. If I was an artist, I felt like I was, I was joining a record label that was kind of like stealing my soul. <laughs> if I could relate it, uh, and again, created more risk. I'm betting on myself again. I'm betting on myself again. Um, so to answer your question, I didn't, finish university yet. Uh, I might go back in the future. You never know. I don't close doors when I walk through them. Um, instead I created a bunch of risks and bet on myself and, and educated myself in very different ways. I have a plan for you. You're going to go back to U of T and get your honorary doctorate. Thank you very much. We're going to give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
Oh yeah, and by the way, here's my my essay on DEET or whatever DDT and how it affects Peregrine. Forgot Falcons. to Here send that in, but anyway, thank yeah. you for the doctorate. Skipped a couple levels right out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I don't. It's funny. I, I when I speak to kids, I don't ever you know tell them don't go to school or don't do this. I think it's very. It's like a very subjective choice, and you, at the end of the day, you have to follow your heart. I think there's some there's some paths that are right for other people, and some paths that are right for others, and you know, you just have to be, you have to be you and follow your path. But you're so more responsible to tell that story. Like, um, this past, not this past year, the year before when we could go in person, my, my, my daughter's school, uh, they had like a career day for the senior class. So I was invited in to be kind of the entrepreneur. So they had the lawyer, they had the doctor, they had the whatever business yeah. person. And then I was like the, the token entrepreneur. And, and at one point this young woman puts up her hand. So, you know, I'm really interested in being an entrepreneur, you know, what should I study in university? And I was like, you really want to be an entrepreneur? And then I look over like the teachers in charge, like everyone's engaged, <laughs> leaning forward. And I was like, don't go to university, <laughs> start your business. Yeah. And, you know, and, but I kind of threw it out there as kind of like, I believed it, but I don't know if I should say it. And maybe I, you shouldn't do that. Oh, but No, if someone's asking you that question, then you have, a, you have a responsibility to give your honest answer. You know, when people ask me, should I go to school? I don't say yes or no. I ask, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> because I can't give you advice if you want to be a doctor. I'm not going to say don't go to school, you know. Yeah. Um, but if you're like, I want to be a marketer or I want to start a e-commerce website or I want to open a restaurant go find someone who's done that thing and become their biggest student and just start, you know? Um, again, it goes back to small actions. Like what is the first thing I can do right now to move me closer to that thing? And it doesn't make sense if you're saying you want to be an entrepreneur to go and get a degree in theory and then, and then start doing what you could have done four years ago. You know, it's interesting because you've, you've focused in on teens and, and a short anecdote is I understand you have a course, right? That, the targets like career counseling or something like that. Am I yeah, right? It's a, it's, it's a career studies course. Well, I, I do it mostly with career studies classes. Yeah. So it, it made me remember my career counselor. So grade 10 or 11, yep. trying to choose my university path. And I, I didn't know what I was going to do, but my, for some reason, my dad had bought me this. It's a classic book in advertising by one of the most famous, like when you think of Mad Men, you know, that character's maybe loosely based on, on, on this guy, David Ogilvy, who was like the Steve Jobs of advertising. And he had this book, it was Ogilvy on advertising, a white book, big lettering, it was beautifully packaged. And I went through this going, this looks fun. I want to do this. So I went in to my career counselor, what do you want to do? And da, 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 da. And I said, I think I want to go into this thing called advertising. He's like, uh, Calder, you're, I've seen your writing. You, no, you have no future in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the irony is today, yeah. I'm kind of in that space. I won't name the teacher's name, but the point <laughs> is it's such a pivotal moment. Like the influence that individual had at that moment. Now, maybe it's because I was stubborn or I like the challenger. It's by fluke. I ended up and in this marketing space and all that stuff. And, uh, and I hire great writers like Mark. Um, but I think zeroing on that is a key moment. So how do you go into tackling that topic in the right way that opens minds and doors versus closing them? Like, yeah, great question. So, you know, going back to the experience you had, I had a similar one right? Everyone was always telling me what they think I should do when I was in school. You should do this, Sam, or you should do that. Oh, you're kind of interested in good in in these subjects. You should consider this and you should do that. But never once did someone ask me, Sam, what is it that you actually want to do? Not what your parents want, not what we tell you to do based on your grades in school. Like what is that thing that just gets you so excited? And so when I tackle it in a four-day seminar, right, the first day is sharing an inspirational story uh, and my whole journey in a keynote that encourages them to give back no matter what they choose to do and also to understand that their self-worth isn't attached to their talent, skills, or abilities. Um, and it's a, it's a perspective-shifting session that allows the students to 
like me as a person because if they don't buy into Sam Demma, uh, they're not going to listen to what I have to say or share. And then the second day is about vision creation and goal setting. And this is where I openly tell the kids, look, I don't care what your parents told you they want for you. Um, you know, you can tell them to call me if they get upset about this. I don't care what, <laughs> you know, your teachers want for you. Uh, today is all about you. I want you to act as if no one, no one is going to read what you're writing down. And over the next 60 minutes, I take them through a ton of exercises to create an ideal day, what they want their life to look like in 10, 15 years, five years. Uh, then we break it down to smaller goals, three to 12 months out. Um, we talk about things like there's a part in our brain called the reticular activating system um, that basically filters out the things that you don't care about. And the way it figures those things out is by what you intend to focus on. And I take them through a bunch of exercises that explain why this stuff is important. And then give them the opportunity to actually think, oh, okay, he's right. I've always been thinking about what everyone else wants for me. What is it that I actually want? And then they take, you know, they go down this whole process. Then day two, we talk about creating morning and nighttime routines. We talk about the importance of shifting their limiting beliefs. And then the final day, we do like a graduation um, where everyone gets to share what they wrote down and what they learned from the course. So I get, again, I'm very cautious when I say you should do this and you should do that. And I think you're suited for this. Instead, I give the kids the free reign to tell me what they want to do. Now, if some kid tells me, you know, I want to be a professional gamer, that's great. Like uh, that is a, that today, that is a, that's a legit path you can take. So the question I would ask is, okay, uh, who can you go learn from who's doing it right now? Uh, can you figure out what their daily schedule is and what the work included actually uh, includes? And can you start doing that? You know, and I, I'll challenge you to start doing it because if that's what you actually want to do, there's a process for it. Um, so I don't think there's many unrealistic ones that come up. Some kind, sometimes kids are funny and they say like stupid things, but uh, there are some kids who are real and you know they have some real dreams that other people are like, no man, that's not possible. I don't ever tell someone it's not possible. I just challenge their goal and ask them, are they willing to do whatever it takes? Um, it's funny. I think back to again when I was a kid and I wanted to play a soccer player and obsessed with soccer. And going into my dad's office and saying, dad, I want to buy a home gym. And first of all, my dad was so excited because most young kids are asking their parents for video games right, or money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm here asking him for weights. And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And, and he goes on his computer and he searches up the cost of gym equipment very quickly realizes it's not, it's not cheap stuff. Like it's pretty expensive. And so he tells me, Sam, I will drive you anywhere. I will help you pick stuff up, but I can't help you pay for it. You're going to have to pay for it on your own. And being a soccer player, I'm training every day, three, four hours. It's very hard to get a job. Like people aren't hiring me because I don't have any availability. And so I created a flyer, <laughs> Salvatore's grass cutting service. <laughs> and I dropped it in all my neighbors' um, bins. I got two clients from it all summer long. Uh, didn't make nearly enough money. So then I started flipping gym equipment on Kijiji. And I would buy used gym equipment. I would spray paint it. I would get an iron brush. I'd scratch the rust off and I would sell it for full price. Then I started doing manual labor jobs. Like people would post online, I need someone to clean my kitchen floor. I kid you not. I was still in high school. Uh, I went to this lady's house, um, 7 p.m. I was there till 1130 with a toothbrush, scrubbing the grout lines between her tiles. <laughs> my mom comes and picks me up and is like, what the heck? And I, you know, I got in the car and I was like breaking down to my mom, I'm not crying, but like, what the hell did I sign up for? Like, what is this? this is the worst experience of my life? Um, long story short from all those things, I ended up over the, over the next like year and a half, two years, you know, making two, $3,000 and being able to go to the gym and just point at all these things I wanted from the store. And I bought them all. And now I have this whole gym in my basement I'm looking at it right now <laughs> and I, uh, I use it every morning. And so I think back, you know, why did that happen? Because I was so obsessed with wanting a gym and I was willing to figure out how, like, I feel like when we have the why and the what figured out, you know, the how kind of comes into its, into its own place. If you just persist long enough. Mark, what was your career advice from your career counselor? I'm curious. Not useful. Let, <laughs> let's let's be honest. It wasn't very okay. useful. It was. I feel like I had a very typical career counseling situation. You go into the class, you know, whatever the time limit. It it's kind of a flaky class. You don't really have to work very hard. There's a couple things you got to do throughout the class. You know, to get the end grade. Like my my goal to 
for that class, I remember it was just like, get above an 80, do as little work as possible. And throughout that whole class, it was kind of like, okay, let's like explore a job, pick a job or pick a, 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 a course you could take in university. And I remember like, I did not take it seriously. I submitted one project because I was like, I'll be a stand-up comedian. And like, here's, here's what I need to do. And I put, I just wrote like, I took a, a picture of Michael Moore and I put dumb white man on the front cover of it. Like I slapped the picture on, I submitted it and she, my, uh, my career counselor teacher wasn't too happy with that one, but I remember it just being so flaky. See- you know what? I'm like wondering, like, how does your work taking it for granted? Because you're so awesome. Your four day, you know, seminar rocks. Let's just, it's got to rock. It's got to rock better than anything out there. But how does it like, look at how we've all in a general scheme, like for the, through this pandemic, we've all, you know, most Canadians have, and, and people around the world have done their part. They're trying to help. Like, why when we have that same urgency, you know, like, it, for teens, like, uh, uh, someone going in a grade 10, like, this should be the highest, highest priority. Like, turning on the light switch in this, gener- you know, as that generation is, it's such a tricky age, you know? Like, it's like, it's that moment. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that... They're also some of the toughest people to change their minds, right? Because you're going through some formative years of your life. And if either of you have kids, I'm, I'm sure you know this. Like, you know, you get into an argument with a young person. Sometimes they're pretty stubborn. Um, and I know that too. And honestly, I believe that's a, I think it's a good thing though. You know, if you, if you weren't stubborn and you had no opinions, it's not the best. Um, I think the... The thing that makes it easier for me is my age, you know, being like I, I look like an, a younger brother uh, or an older brother sometimes, it makes a huge difference and allows me to connect with students. Why it's not the focus, you know, you know, the phrase people always say, it's hard to see the frame when you're in the picture. You know, when, when teachers are being told you have to go from teaching in person to teaching virtually to teaching in person and, and they're working longer days and I don't know, things are happening. It's so hard for them to keep the students at the center of what they're doing. Um, and sometimes I think that, you know, people are not in the right jobs either. You know, like if someone was extremely passionate about teaching, they would figure it out. They would find the ways they would make sure the students are still at the center. If it was something they kind of rolled into and they're not extremely passionate about it, kids suffer slightly, you know? Um, so yeah, there's a lot of reasons why I think sometimes it's it's not being put as the main focus. Um, I think it's the most important thing in the world. <laughs> Dude, I it's more important than, you know, yes, get your math and learn to write and all that stuff. But getting clarity on what yeah. you want to do, what actions you want to take, I can't think of anything more important. And just, and just giving the kids the opportunity to set a goal for themselves that they're passionate about and then see them complete it. Like that is such a fulfilling experience where you might feel like you, you're, you're a failure at school, or you might feel like you let everyone down because you, you associated your self-worth to soccer and everything fell apart, but you can still get a pen and a sheet of paper and write down a goal for yourself and achieve it eight months from now and feel like you're back on track, like you're on top of the world. You know, I think about my notebook like a hard drive. You can write new code into a computer and it changes everything. Now, why can't we write new code into our own personal lives and change everything? We can, and it happens in a journal. But everyone just tells you, grab a pen and a sheet of paper and write some things down, you know? But when you when you teach through story and you share analogies, it changes people's perspectives. Um and so that's what I really try and bring to the table is analogies, personal experiences. I don't tell kids what to do. I just share with them my own experiences and say, consider this. Like, this is what happened to me. Take what you can from it. Um, and I find that really helpful. I uh, had a chance uh, a few years ago. I went to this seminar for entrepreneurs. And so it's a lot of old people. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm joking. And uh and to start it off, we had a, we all had these pads of paper and pencil, you know, donated part of the program. We paid a lot of money. I was like, wow, we got a free pencil and pad of paper. So he goes, I want pencil ready. I don't want you to think. Mm. I want you to just write the, a number down. And the number I want you to write down is what 
age are you going to die? And so you kind of just stream of consciousness right down the number and did a round table. Like it was amazing. Like some people were like 65. Others like 150, the salesman in the room. Uh, Who put 65? No, and, so, so and how old were they at the time? They were like 50. And so when you, we went around the table, the, the question was like, why would you say 65? It was like, because my father and my uncles all died really young. Yep. Okay. And then the 150 was a sales rep. And he's like, I'm always shooting for the stars. And then, you know, it was really interesting. To do that, first of all, so then it was like setting why you're putting that as a date. And then he, he leave room for people to, if they want to change their number, they could. And then the question, the next question was, what are you doing the year before you die? Mm. So it's definitely drawing the line further out. You know, it's, you know, often we do planning saying, like, and, and I think it's totally legit. It's like, where, what do you want to be doing in five or 10 years? But I found it really interesting going like, you're at the end of your life. Yeah. What's going on there? And I, I found that a really refreshing reflection. Now, I think doing that with 15, 16-year-olds is a bit of a stretch. But, yeah. but for the uh, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds in the room, it's a good little technique. I- yeah, I, I think that facing morality and thinking about those things is beneficial no matter what age you are, right? It just it adds in a sense of urgency that yeah. you know you only have one life. Like this is the one life we get. This isn't a practice life. <laughs> um so you better live it the way you want to and make the same impact the way you envision it now, not later, because you know, everyone who wrote down a number that said when they thought they were gonna die, I can guarantee you they're probably all wrong because you know, you could die tomorrow, you know, like, <laughs> like you know, you 150. Great, man. I'm glad that that's your thought, but you know, you might only live to 72, you know, yeah. and who knows what that number is. Um, so I agree with you. It's a, that's a powerful exercise. So we have this little fun thing we do on the old Mojo Mo- uh, moments podcast. It's called the rabbit hole five. <laughs> so, uh, we go down five rabbit holes and, uh, so there's five questions. Do you want to you want to knock off the first one there, Marky Mark? Yeah, we, well, I mean, soccer star, soccer passion, Messi or Ronaldo? Who's better? Messi. Done. There you go. That was no thought. <laughs> Why? Why Messi? I mean, statistically speaking, he's like he has a lot more uh, trophies. But I also look at it from the perspective of Messi's smaller. Uh, Messi doesn't have the same build or body as Ronaldo, yet he's been able to like just do outstanding things with what he has. So like, I feel like he impresses me more than Ronaldo does just from that, just from that fact. And then the other piece of it is uh, he has a humble, but very a humble and arrogant confidence at the same time where I feel like Ronaldo is more on the, always the arrogant side. Um, And don't get me wrong. Like you have to be arrogant in sports, you know, when you're in the moment of about to score a goal, you have to say, you know, I know I'm going to score this goal. I believe in myself and they could sound arrogant at times. Um, but I feel like Messi's more likable just overall in general, because he has this humble confidence to him as well. Well, here's the bad news. We had Ronaldo queued up to join us for this thing, but, uh, <laughs> we'll have to cut him from yeah, the show. Sorry yeah. about that. Dude. We'll tell, tell his people. He's not coming on. <laughs> so Stop second right question, who's someone out there who's inspiring you right now? Oh, great question. This guy named Charlie rocket. Um, oh yeah, I, you you I, mentioned him earlier. You like Char- I like the name Charlie yeah. Rocket. Charlie Rocket. So his name is Charlie Jabbly. This is a real name. He calls himself Charlie Rocket. Um, I have I have phases of finding people that I like. I need to learn from, and it's crazy. I will become obsessed to the point where like I will end up working with this person or meeting this person. So for example, uh, Josh Ship. Josh Ship is the guy who runs the Speakers Bureau, top youth speakers. Uh, you know, they have 12 speakers only and they book 3000 events per year and they send their speakers out and he's been on Oprah and had his own TV shows and best-selling books. Like the dude is a powerhouse when it comes to speaking and impacting young lives. And I wrote it in my journal every day when I started speaking, I will be represented by this agency and I bought their courses and I bought their personal coaching and I flew to California to meet Josh and attend his live events. And it got to the point where I got the offer to join you know, his agency. Um, and so that was one phase. And I learned so much from that guy. More recently, it's this guy, Charlie Rocket. And he is a 
a former music mogul. He managed Two Chains, the rapper. Uh, you might know him. <laughs> um, maybe not. It's okay. <laughs> I'm more into Juice World than that crowd. Oh, Juice, uh, Juice World's good too. <laughs> <laughs> or he was good. Oh, well, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, okay. He was alive, but it's okay. No, Juice World's great. But... Okay, that's all right. I'm just trying to pretend I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, Juice World's dead, man. I know. I got kids. They told me the news. But um... Sorry, I threw you off here. So, oh, it's okay. So, Charlie Rocket. Charlie Rocket managed two chains, built a huge music business, ended up becoming 300 pounds, developing a brain tumor, uh, having to walk away from the business to save his life. And then in the span of the year that followed, he lost 160 pounds, ran five marathons, and completed an Ironman. Uh, and now he drives around America on this bus uh, called the Dream Machine, making people's dreams come true with big sponsorship dollars from companies so that he could you know, give a thousand bucks to a Starbucks barista or drop off toys at Christmas to underprivileged communities. And um, he inspires me for a lot of the things I just mentioned, but also because he's a marketing genius. And uh, he has some phenomenal podcast interviews and i just every morning for the past like three weeks i've been listening and i have a whole plan in place to reach out to him and, and get in touch with him um which is undisclosed information uh <laughs> on the <laughs> podcast but uh, uh he's someone that i'm really inspired by right now and uh in the in the in the attempt of speaking it into existence he is someone that i will work with and i will learn from in the near future i love it it's gonna happen bro so who's yep. someone you'd like to have on your podcast and why? Oh, that's a great question too. Was this another extra question or is this the third one on the list? Yeah, it's, no, number one. Three. it's the third one. Um, well, at the current moment, I would love to interview Charlie. Like that would be phenomenal. But if I could have access to like, you know, any given person, someone who I would love having on the show and having a conversation with would be, oh, that's a tough question. There's too many people to interview. I would go back to my childhood dream, which is to be a professional soccer player. And I would interview someone by the name of Andrea Pirlo. Uh, he was a midfielder for Italy. And he was the guy that I looked up to as an athlete who I thought had like the killer instinct, but also the humility um, and just a, like a phenomenal midfielder. And he played the same position I did. I would love to interview him, somehow give him some magical power so he could speak good English <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so he could understand my questions. And I would want to know what his life looked like because he didn't, he didn't feel like a guy who would get on a podcast and be like, oh, hustle hard and grind your, your teeth to the ground until you make it. He seemed like he just loved the game so much. Mm-hmm. And it led to his amazing success. And I feel like we are always told this story about hustle this, hustle that, do everything it takes. But there's, there, there's, there's obviously other paths that we can take um, that stem from obsession and love. And so I would, he'd be someone that I'd be really interested in talking to. I've always loved his hair. Yeah. I've always thought he had just great hair. <laughs> yeah, just that flow yeah. when he's oh. <laughs> It's interesting what you were just saying, because a friend of mine uh, who's he's very close with uh, Jean Saint-Pierre, the, the ultimate fighter, uh, shared an anecdote about him. Um, and I may be screwing it up Particularly, but it's kind of like someone was eating like, I'm going to say a tofu or avocado. And this is years ago. And he was like, very comfortably like, what is that? You know, like, and they're like, well, it's an avocado. And kind of like, what are you, where, you don't know what an avocado is? And he was like, no, is it good for you? It tastes good. What are the benefits? And, 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 and blah, 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 blah. I got really into it. And what my friend said is what I loved about GSP was he had no shame of being fully vulnerable. And if yep. he didn't know something, he, didn't, he, he wasn't trying to falsely pretend he was in the know. He was just, he just is who he is. And he's like kind of his brilliance in taking on all these martial arts was always open to learning shit. Like never, never putting the pride first. And it's funny. You mentioned Charlie Rockout already. One of the reasons why I love Charlie as well is because he markets himself as the common man. And he says, I'm just like you. Whereas in most marketing and most uh, you know public figures, they tell the exact opposite message. I'm nothing like you. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning and take freezing cold showers and go on huge runs. And Charlie's out here saying, no, man, I try and do those things, but I also struggle. And it's also interesting to look at like, you know, religion for a second. 
Jesus Christ is the common man. He comes out on horses, not with millions of dollars. He only has 12 disciples and builds this huge following. Like there's something there when it comes to humility and also, you know, not marketing yourself like you're better than everyone or acting like you are, but saying like, no, man, I also struggle. And I like, I, I just strive to do better just like everyone else. Um, so that GSP thing, I think that makes really, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, then it would make him more likable because it's more relatable. You know, we don't know everything else either. So, so I have a fourth question. What's the strangest piece of garbage you found in your pickup days? Oh oh my gosh. So we're still (laughs) picking up garbage. Um, uh, We're we're still doing it this summer, but uh, I mean, I'll give you a couple because one is too little. We found, we found a whole washroom once. So, I mean, like, (laughs) wait, 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 I don't understand. You found a whole washroom. So, so in the forest, like we found, the bathtub, the sink, and the toilet, <laughs> like all broken up and rotten in the forest. Um, nothing's in them, so don't worry. It's just like so. You know, maybe there was a house there, and all that was left was the one fancy outhouse. <laughs> it was definitely a construction worker illegally dumping for sure. Yeah, um, we we found dozens of filled diapers. Like that's a classic one. Um, we found this one was really weird. So we found like a TV that had clearly been shot through with like a gun and and here's the crazy part we were we were moving it towards all the garbage and we were in a public location so this guy was pulling up and we put the tv down and we we're like whoa look at this like there's all these holes in it like someone must have shot through it and then the guy comes out of his car and he looks over and he had this like this southern like accent <laughs> and he goes you see that hole in the middle kids and we're like yeah he's like that's a 12 gauge shotgun <laughs> It's like, Jesus, how does this guy know this? It's kind of crazy, you know? Um, That was a very weird, interesting find. Uh, So bathrooms, TVs with gun holes in them. Um, Yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on. (laughs) And the last, the question that we ask everyone is number five. What would be the advice you'd give to yourself when you were 17 if i could go back four years from now <laughs> yeah like a million years ago talk to you like yesterday yesterday <laughs> like last week what would you tell yourself yeah 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 i would tell myself to not put so much pressure on you know the things i'm trying to accomplish and achieve but rather the person i'm trying to become uh and i would also tell myself to find people who are doing things that you want to do and learn from them. Uh, ask them questions. Be curious. Always be curious. I would tell my younger self, if there's a goal you have, don't think about how hard it's going to be to reach it or achieve it, but instead break it down into small, consistent actions. Um, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of things I would tell myself. Mm-hmm. I think those three kind of stand out the most, though. I find it interesting because when we've asked people, they're usually a bit older than you. And uh, they usually come to just one little thing. You're like... I got a list for you, bro. I got this. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bunch of things I've been meaning to tell you myself when I was 17. Yeah. And I feel like that I'm passionate about it because I feel like I have the opportunity to do that when I speak to high school kids. Like I, I imagine this is my younger self sitting in the audience and they feel that I care about them because I don't know, it just comes out genuinely and authentically, you know? Yeah. Well, it's super, super awesome to chat with you, man. This has been a great mojo session. Uh, Mark, Dane, I appreciate it. It's been awesome. It's uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Get a quick. Uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, so you got your? Do you have your laugh tracks and clapping tracks for your own podcast? Is that your? Right here, man. There we go. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it's funny. <laughs> I, I love that you do that because we do weekly town halls with the team and yeah. occasionally I, I scramble to try and find a track on my iPhone that I'll put on to our town hall meeting that we're doing virtually. Yeah, that or you just ask me to do it awkwardly <laughs> yeah. on the spot. It's like, do, do, the, do the horns. Yeah, do, do yeah, do, do them, Mark. Do it. No, Come on. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> hey, he's pretty good. Yeah. Huh? Mark, man, if you didn't do it, I was going to play this sound, man. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we have a guy who does fireworks. Nice. I can't okay, do it. I was like, <laughs> like something like that, but he's way better yeah. at it. No, no, you got to go like this. There you go. <laughs> nice. Man. And then he does a finger. Like anyway, so this is where Mojo Moments 
is yeah, good awesome. to end. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Thank guys. you, sir. I appreciate it. That was a great chat, don't you think? Yeah. We need more of these Sams out there. Like the, the, the only issue I have with the Sam story is we don't have enough of Sam. We need we need his approach, his method, his his energy, his enthusiasm. What I love is that he's never going to tell you what you should do. He's going to tell you how to figure out on your own, which is the key to all of this. Because as you grow, as he was saying, is like you change over time. And what's true when you're 18 might not be true when you're 25, might not be true when you're 48. But but developing those systems and a framework for how to go about that, you can repeat it at different steps of your life. It's fascinating. And being able to retool your mojo as you go along. Exactly. It's like we started this podcast because, you know, you needed to retool your mojo in a way a year and a half ago. And here we are. And we're like, we're, we are, we're always refreshing it and coming up with different ideas and different ways of approaching it. And, and it restarted your mojo. It's interesting. A big part of his mojo is reaching out to people and, and diving into, okay, how'd you get there? And finding people who share that up. And in a way, that's what podcasting is a lot about, man. Like, or at least for us. Yeah, and he's doing that. He's a one-man wrecking crew. In a good way. But the positive <laughs> wrecking crew. The building crew. The, the opposite of wrecking crew. Building crew. Uh, look, bro. So that was great. Uh, I think we need more Sam's. That's how I'm going to leave that one. And uh, we're not. I think we're just seeing the first inning, or period, or I don't know whatever sport analogy you want. First quarter of this guy. I think we're going to see a lot more yeah. Sam down the road. Take care, my friend. You too, buddy. Thank you, Mojo listeners. 